offering basket passer is out of commission. Oh, it's Ryan. Ryan's got uh, and we'll get in contact with you. Well, today I'm actually preaching on what I believe God has uh, given us as a church as I don't ever know what to call these things. Can I just be totally honest? Like, I don't know what to call the little tagline or the summary statement, the mission statement, the purpose statement. Like, I'm just, I'm not really good at business jargon. Like, I'm not, that's that's not, I'm not good at that. That's not my style. But I do think that, that it's important for us as a church to have something we can hold on to that we can remember that's easy and succinctly describes what it is that we're all about, what it is that we're doing, what it is that this church exists for. Like, what, what are these people really doing here when we're gathering together, when we're singing these songs, when we're listening to somebody yammer on about the Bible? Like, what, what is it about? What are we doing? And I think that what we're about doing in this church is cultivating love. That in the vineyard, we want to cultivate love for God and for neighbors. And there are a few key passages that we'll look to explore that. Uh, but just as we get started, if you would, would you pray with me? Just and ask, as I ask God for help with this. So Lord, I just confess that, man, I, I don't know how to cultivate love. At least not by myself. Like, I, I need help to do that. And I, I need help to love you. And I need help to love the people around me. If I'm honest, I even need help to accept the love that you have for me. And so, God, I just ask for your help in all those things. I ask that we would be a community that can do this task, that can love you and that can love the people around us that you would bring us closer to that this morning, and that somehow the words that I'm saying would, would urge us towards that. I just ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're, you know, if you've been part of a church ever, uh, or, or, or heard, read a little bit of the words of Jesus, or had any kind of a, a sense of of what Jesus is about or any exposure to the New Testament, you're probably somewhat familiar with this thing called the greatest commandment that Jesus talked about. And we're going to look at that first here, but we're going to look at it in, in, uh, in context. You know, we, we all know, and it's, it's kind of cliche that love is the answer, right? We've heard that a lot. Uh, we know that love is super important. But when you get down into the nitty-gritty of actually trying to define what love is, it gets a little fuzzy, Right? It's a little mysterious. It's a little difficult to nail down exactly what we mean by that. And so in, in the greatest commandment, that, which we're about to read, um, I think it's interesting. And I think it's particularly interesting to read it in context in Mark's gospel. And so we're actually going to just start there. Um, Jesus replied, now this is, this is interesting. This is, we actually looked at this a couple weeks ago when we were looking at um, the church's chosen family. Right? And what it means for us to, to embrace one another to, and to embrace you know, people that others don't embrace and, and, and what it means to really be a family uh, with, with God as the head of the household. Um, and, and in this discussion that Jesus is having with some Pharisees, they're trying to tell him that the resurrection isn't real. And he argues with them. 
and tells them that they're wrong. Uh, their argument is that, well, you know, if a woman marries a man and then that man dies and then marries another man and then that man dies and then marries another man and that man dies, etc., etc., at the resurrection, whose husband will she be? Uh, and Jesus sees right through their right through their ploy and he says are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of god and i've said it before and i'll say it again that when i am in error it is usually because i don't know the scriptures or the power of god but uh he says when the dead rise they will neither marry nor be given in marriage they will be like the angels in heaven how is that for our cultural understanding of the supremacy of love now about the dead raising you, you do not, you have, have you not read in the book of Moses in the account of the burning bush how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken, emphasizing that when the kingdom comes, when love comes in its fullness, it's resurrection. There's an end to death. There's something beyond the grave. And that something beyond the grave is beyond marriage. It's beyond sexual relationships. It's beyond earthly families and those biological structures that happen as a result of those marriages. That's, that's a challenging countercultural statement. And so when we say that we're cultivating love, I'm not saying that we're excluding that, but, but that's not the main focus, right? The main focus is what Jesus says in these next few verses. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. And he says, Shema o Israel, Shema Adonai Elohenu Adonai Echad, which is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And Jesus is quoting here Deuteronomy chapter 6, I think it starts in verse 5, but it's the Shema. It's, the good, it's like the, the foundational Jewish prayer that if you ask any Jew today, uh, do you know the Shema? They'll say, well, does a Catholic know a Hail Mary? I mean, come on, like, it's, it's so obvious. Like, the Shema is like what every Jewish boy and girl is raised to pray. It's, it's like, like the most basic creed, the most basic prayer that a Jewish person would pray. And it's this, it's this, it's this answer. Hear, O Israel. And we, we looked at this a, a few weeks ago, maybe a few months ago, just that, that we're here, that, we're, that, that implies this sense of hear and obey. Hear, like, really hear me. Like, hear me, hear me, right? Uh, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength, with everything that you have, right? With your guts, with your heart, with your brain, everything you have, love the Lord. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. More important than anything else we do to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself that that is really what it is all about that's the most basic thing when Jesus uh, saw that he had answered wisely he said to them you are not far from the kingdom of God 
And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. Jesus says something rather simple here, right? It's not difficult to understand what Jesus is saying. But I think that sometimes we misunderstand a simple thing to be an easy thing. To love God with everything. To love God with all parts of our life. To love God holistically and completely, without hesitation, without abandon, or with abandon. To, to totally be completely committed to God. That's, that's not something that comes completely natural to me. And, and if I'm really honest, there are certain people who live in close proximity to me that it is not natural for me to want to care about or to want to show kindness to or to uh, want to be in close relationship and be vulnerable with in a loving relationship. That, that to, to love my neighbor while I understand clearly what that means, doing it, actually living that out, turns out to be much more challenging than I might expect if I think that uh, simple is the same thing as easy. When Jesus, Jesus says all kinds of things that are very challenging, he says to one person, sell everything that you have and come follow me. That's fairly simple. It's really straightforward. That Jesus, Jesus is very clear. It's unambiguous what he's saying. But to do that has high cost. It's not easy. Jesus says, give to Caesars what is Caesars and give to God what is God's. He's saying, pay your taxes and pay your tithe. You know, <laughs> people understand what he means, but everybody who heard him say that said, what? That's outrageous. How could, how could anyone be so free with their financial resources? Jesus says, heal the sick. Like it's something we can do. Simple but maybe not easy for us. Cast out demons. Make disciples. There, the New Testament and Jesus' teaching is full of these very simple ideas. They aren't too complex for us to understand what they mean, but they take uh, maybe even more than what we have to really do, right? And so when we say love God and love your neighbor, I think there's an invitation for us to really ponder that, to really understand what that means holistically. It's not, a, it's not an easy thing, even though it is rather simple. It takes some time and some work and some development, maybe some continuing support and education, maybe a community that will encourage us on the long journey of walking these very simple things out and support us when we're not making it, when we're not hitting the mark. That when I say that I feel like God has called us to cultivate love for God and our neighbor, I'm also recognizing something that Jesus said in this parable that only appears in Mark's gospel in chapter 4, but I think is really true. He, being Jesus, also said this, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. 
And all by itself the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. And as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. There's something about the kingdom of God. There's something about God's leadership in our life. There's something about this experience of loving God. And because we've uh, loved God and because he's loved us, and, and through that experience we've found the strength to love others in a way that's powerful and transformative and real. That's not just words or you know, feel-good hype. That there's something about this experience of loving God and loving other people that is really organic. It's something that has to grow over time. It's really something that God has to do in us. And if you will, you know, that when, when farmers cultivate things, they use the best wisdom that they have. They use all of their um, ingenuity, all of their expertise, all of the experience, everything they've been taught from the tradition of farming, everything that they've been taught from the internet and all the you know, agricultural resources of our greatest universities. But we plant seeds, and we don't make them grow, but they, they grow themselves, right? We, we, we water, we, we, we get good soil, and we, we take a risk in, in, in making the investment and in, in, in putting the seed in the ground, and, and hopefully something comes up, even though we might not know exactly how that happens or why that happens. That there's, there's sort of a mystery to life. There's sort of a mystery to things that are alive. And love has a life of its own. It is personified in the person of God, and particularly in the person of Jesus Christ. And, and he's a mystery that we don't completely comprehend. And so if he's going to be at work in us, making us people who are able to love God and love our neighbors, he has to be at work. He has to be doing really the miraculous, life-giving work. We might water, we might plant, we might dig, we might sow, we might pick the right spot for the sunlight, whatever, but ultimately the seed grows on its own. The, the work of God is part of this community that is happening here. We, we're fully reliant on forces that we don't control uh, in order for things to grow. Now, a cynical, skeptic person who, you know, might rightly critique me and say, well, come on, you know, uh, you can look at seeds and see how DNA works. Just because you don't understand it doesn't mean it's not all materialistic determinism. And I would say, yeah, that's, that's true, but... But even understanding all of that, there's still some mystery involved. At some point, the limits of human understanding come into play, and there's something greater than just what we understand going on in the beauty of life on earth as we experience and as we know it. That if you will, even on the molecular level or the atomic level, at some point there's always going to be a limit to human understanding. I'm not saying that we shouldn't continue to grow in our understanding. We're not anti-science in this church. But I think that science has limits. And this is an analogy. What we're saying is that love is a fruit of the Spirit. Paul says as much in his letter to the Galatian church. He says the fruit of the Spirit 
is love and joy and peace and forbearance or patience is how our kids know it upstairs kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control against these things there is no law if we want to have those things at work in our lives god has to be at work it's something that he makes happen by his grace and by his activity among us and so we as a church want to be the kind of people that work with that process that we don't resist it that we do try to till the soil that we do try to build a trellis that we do try to 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 water the seed that we try to work with this thing that god has created and that wants to grow and that wants to bear fruit and that wants to multiply that we want to be part of this kingdom of love and justice and in order to do that god has to be at work and we also work with God. There's, there's a partnership here to see fruitfulness come about. And so we want to cultivate that love so that the fruit can come to bear and we can enjoy it and share it with our friends. Right? I think that it's important to note here that love must be sincere. We can't fake it. We can't pretend to love somebody. That doesn't work. People see through that. You know, when, when a salesman hands you something, a free sample on the, on the street, you know that person's not doing it out of the kindness of their heart, right? They're marketing to you. They're, they're, they're trying to sell you something. They're trying to get you to come check something out or to spend money on something. Uh, in some sense, when we hand out snow cones, we hopefully are doing that from a place of sincere love, but we're doing that from a place of sincere love that hopes that people will come and join us in this community so that we can get to know each other, so that we can actually spend the time to have a sincere love with those people, right? It's an introduction. It's a way to make a connection. It's a way to invite people into a community that can actually put the time and the effort in into seeing love spring up and become fruit and, and become real. And I think that real love is something that God has to make happen. And not saying, and I'm not saying that love isn't out in the world and that it's exclusively in the church. Like God's grace is, is big enough, it's, it's large enough, and it's, it's vastly spread out enough in, in, in the beauty of creation that we find love in other places but we think it's perfected in Christ. We think that it's seen most valiantly, most courageously, most uh, sacrificially in the love of Jesus Christ. And so we want to cultivate that in our neighbors and in our community. But in order for that to happen, it has to be real. It has to be sincere. It can't just be surface level. It has to go deep. And that only happens in committed community. It doesn't happen on accident. It doesn't happen without time and intention. Paul says in another one of his letters to the church in Rome, he says that love must be sincere. And then he kind of goes on to describe what that looks like. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. 
Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those, this, hear this, hear this. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Love must be sincere. If we're going to do all those things, we're not going to do that on a weekend. We're not going to do that on our checklist. It has to be a style of life. It has to be a sincere commitment. It has to be inside. It can't just be actions that we go through. Our hearts have to be transformed by the love of God. If we're going to go the distance, if we're going to love our enemies, if we're going to love people who are cruel to us, we're going to have to have something other than just our human strength. Love must be sincere. It takes time, and it takes commitment, and it can't be forced. We can't, we can't force it. We can't, uh, we can't build it faster than it develops naturally. You can't plant toma- tomatoes tomorrow and expect uh, fruit on Tuesday. It just doesn't work. It takes time for love to grow. It takes a commitment, a lifestyle, and, and structures and, 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 and promises made and kept. It, it takes real time and effort for love to happen. And that's what we commit to in this church. That's what we commit to. When we make the commitment to gather together in worship, we're saying we're going to be there for each other. We're going to show up. We're going to show up. Maybe we're, maybe we're late, but at least we made it, right? You know, Maybe we're not here every Sunday, but at least we come sometimes. Like, you know, It's better to come sometimes than to not come at all. It's better to come all the time than it is to never come. Right? It's better, to be, it's better to be on time than it is to be late, but it's better to be late than it is to not be here. And it's better to, to, to really just try to make this thing a part of our lives than it is to say, that doesn't matter. I don't need that. Right? Part of the commitment that we make to each other is to show up and to be there, and in the time that we spend together, that's where we find the room and the space and the, the support for love to grow in a way that's sincere, in a way that's real, in a way that leads to the sharing of resources, in a way that leads to the listening to the tender places in our heart where we need God to minister to us, in the, in the places where we need to have that trust to weather differences and to weather real sins against one another. We need that time. It can't be forced. We, 
But you need to give love time to grow. And lastly, love requires a community. Love doesn't happen with a single solitary person. Even in God, we see a community between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's this mystery. Yes, there's one God, and yet there's kind of like three people talking. I don't totally get what that means. It's confusing. I don't think it's supposed to be easily understood. But like even in God, there's this community, and out of that community comes this creation. And out of that creation comes human communities and human families. And every time we step into a community, we risk something, right? We risk the possibility of rejection, the possibility of our needs not being met, the possibility that, that this person will turn out to confirm my own worst fears about myself, that this person will, will not like me when they get to know who I really am, that when I'm at my worst, they'll abandon me, that we, we have all kinds of fears that we bring uh, and all kinds of baggage that we bring when we come into a community, but God invites us to, to trust that he is big enough to, to work over and through those, that, that God is big enough to overcome those risks, and that uh, in community with other people, we will find real love, and we'll find the love of God and experience it. It's, it's a risk to love God, a risk to love God because if we're really honest, sometimes we're not sure if he's good. We're unsure if we can really trust him. And so it feels like a risk. It feels like, I don't know if I can really go all in on this thing because I'm not sure. Maybe God's going to sneak around the corner and steal my wallet. You know, like it just, there, there's part of us that and, and it's natural, every human being has this because we've all been hurt. But when we come to God, the claim is, is that he is all good. That there's nothing false in him. That there's nothing impure, nothing unholy, nothing unrighteous or sneaky. That God can be totally trusted. And it's in that relationship and in that security that we find the strength to experience and give the love that we have for other people who surely, absolutely, I guarantee you, will hurt us. It's part of community. It's part of what it means to be in relationship with other human beings. But God has set up a, a system in which we experience him through this community of other people. It's the primary way that he pours out his grace. It's the primary way that he pours out his healing power. It's the primary way that we experience things like prophecy and impartation of gifts and, I don't know, discipleship. Seems kind of like you can't really do that just like if, if a person is teaching another person, there have to be two people, right? All these things, all of the Christian life happens in community. In community with God and in community with other people. Even the hermits live in communities. There's no way to do this thing without a group of people supporting you in this life. This life is countercultural. 
this life is, uh, is not the way of the world. And so in order to go the distance, in order to make it over the long haul, we need to let other people in. We need to let other people who will hurt us in and, and, and receive the support that we can when they give it to us and give it to them and forgive them when they sin against us and receive their forgiveness when we sin against them. That's part of the deal. There's an inherent risk. And it's a, it's a requirement of cultivating love for God and for our neighbors. Would you stand? This is the time that we uh, take to pray for one another. And... Um, just want to share a few words that I think might be from the Lord. Um, somebody got a picture of a spring in the middle of a sanctuary. Um, and it was well tended and made beautiful, and there's bright water flowing. Um, and yet, uh, and then God said there can be so much more. And then people were digging rocks <laughs> and, and tearing up the sanctuary to make it bigger, to make it more expansive. Uh, and I feel like the, uh, the Lord is just saying something to us in that I feel like God is saying there's an invitation, there's more. There's more of him to experience and there's more of God to find and to share and uh, we, can, we can experience that in prayer. Um, and you got a word? Yeah, alright, so I'm going to let Okay, I'm going to keep it brief. I know everybody wants to go home someday. <laughs> um, really quick, uh, while we were uh, singing worship, and I feel like a lot of this ties into kind of what Josh was saying, but I felt like God was saying, I am in everything. I am in all things. I am in every human, and I am in every place. And therefore, every interaction you have every day can be that of a sacred moment with all people, with all things that can be sacred. Um, I think that really just ties into realizing when we're interacting with God, and no matter where we are, and no matter who we're speaking with, that's kind of helps that ideal of loving. So, yeah. Thanks, Lindsay. Yeah, the presence of God is manifest, so let's look for him. Um, so, okay, if either of those things uh, resonate with you or you want prayer for literally any other reason, um, just step forward during this next song, either step kind of in here or the closer to the front you are, the more clear it will be, oh, that person wants someone to pray for them. And then somebody we've trained to pray um, will, will uh, just come and put their hand on your shoulder and just ask you in total confidence um, how they can pray for you. And then God will do something like, you'll get physically healed or your soul will get better or um, you'll hear him speak and it's going to be really good. So uh, let's pray during this next song.